0: How precious are your children to you? You know, um, we had the privilege of just a couple weeks ago watching our daughter walk across the stage because she got her master's degree. And I, I was crying at the beginning of the service. Nothing had even happened yet, just thinking about the miracle of what that was because my daughter is precious to me. This morning I smiled as I watched David come here on his electric scooter (laughs) to church. He makes me smile a lot. Why? Because he's my son and he's beloved and he's precious to me. Absolutely precious. And I could tell stories about Philip and and I could tell stories about Stephen who cooked his first meal for us this week and... So we had spaghetti, Alec, Stephen. Aren't our kids precious? And our grandkids precious? There is just something incredible about that. Take a look at this verse from Ephesians as we continue. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you understand that God looks down at us and and His love for us is dwar- dwarfs the love that we have for our own children? We are His beloved children. We probably should write that down somewhere because there are days, I don't know about you, but I don't feel beloved. Have you ever had a non-beloved day? where you don't feel very beloved and very precious, but take those feelings that you have, those certain experiences that you watch your children do, those moments that you remember in their lives that all of a sudden bring a little mist to your eye and realize that that is minuscule in comparison to the love that God the Father has for us. We are His Beloved children. When somebody is making you feel like nothing this week, I want you in your mind to maybe you shouldn't smile in front of them because that kind of offends people, but I want you to remember that you are God's beloved child. But what kind of kid are you? If God were to describe you as a child, I, I have short descriptions for each one of my children. Do you know how it is? And and if we're having a bad week, the description maybe changes just a little. But but how would God describe you as his child? What would what, what he say about you as his child saying, oh, I love him. He has a mind of his own. He's off doing his own thing right now. And he's pretty distant but that's the kind of kid he is a uh, oh she she's pretty stubborn she oh no he would use the words we would use we would never tell people their children are just stubborn we'd say she's determined right right there's nice ways to put all of these things what would god say about you as his child what what are the words that you hear whispered in your ear right now when when you hear this idea (laughs) what kind of child are you are you wayward are you a prodigal are you distant is God on a need to know basis with you right now i really need something i'll let you know what what kind of kid do you would you honestly say that god the father would say that you are i think it's interesting that before paul talks about some other ways that we're supposed to walk he wants us to remember that we're god's kids (laughs) and that we're precious to him and that we're important to Him. He's telling us that there's some things that we're supposed to do. Remember when you were a little kid and there certain things you could do? You know, this may sound really crazy, but do you know why I bought this style glasses? Because this is the kind that my real father wore. And when I saw that they came back into style, I remembered a picture of me and my dad sitting reading the paper together and he had an extra pair of glasses and I was wearing them sounds really silly but when I knew that I needed to get better readers because the type is getting so much smaller what is it and my arms are getting shorter (laughs) I bought ones like my dad wore for some reason if I had to wear them I wanted to imitate my father God is calling us. Paul is calling us, actually. He's saying, I want you to imitate your father. You're his beloved children. Would you imitate your father? And in chapter 5, he's going to explain four different ways that he wants us to walk and imitate our father as his beloved children. Here's the first one in verse 2 of chapter 5, he says this, Therefore, beloved children, walk. And what does he say? He says this, he says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. You're going to find in Scripture something very interesting that wherever they talk about the love of Christ they always talk about the cross of Christ. Have you noticed that? Whenever they talk about the love of Christ, the thing that they focus in on is the sacrifice of Christ for us. One more time, remember what Christ did for us. Out of His loving obedience to His Father as Him being the beloved Son, what did He do? He looked into the heart of God and He saw something in the heart of God that was really interesting. Even though God created us and we rebelled against him, God, he saw that God the Father loved us. And then he saw into the heart of God and he said, there only seems to be one way, there is only one way, for the Father's love to be extended to his children. And the only way that that can be extended is sacrifice. Wouldn't you say that that's one of the keys to parenting? One of the keys to parenting is sacrifice, isn't it? It's the reason that they have a little more updated wardrobe than we do. It's the reason that maybe we're not pursuing our hobbies the way we should or would prefer to because we are sacrificing for our children. But I want you to think about what this says. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us. We've talked about this, and the key word that we've often mentioned that goes along with it is this word, willingly. He did it willingly. In other places in Scripture, it says he did it out of obedience to the Father. You know, in James, in John chapter, um, I believe it's right around chapter um, 12, he's talking to the Father, and um, he's saying, I don't really want to do this, right? I guess that's around 17. And he says what? But... Not your will, but mine be done. And so, this love is huge. That's what we sang about this morning. Love so amazing. Love so amazing, right? This amazing love that even though we should be condemned to hell because of all the choices we make in our rebellion against God, we should be condemned to hell. We should be eternally punished. Have you ever ever been so mad at your child? You look at him and you say, you're grounded forever. Have you ever done that? And then you realize, wait a minute, that punishes me, not them. And that's what God did. He says, I, I should ground you forever. I should punish you forever. But instead, my son is going to take away your punishment. He died on the cross so that we could have relationship with the Father. Isn't that amazing? It's that mercy that we just sang about too. It's these things that are just so, uh, we can't completely wrap our head around it. I occasionally wonder if there's a line to the mercy and the grace of God where he's going to go in my life and he's going to say, I changed my mind, that's enough. I've had enough of your rebellion. I've had enough of your disobedience. I've had enough of your not trusting me. I've changed my mind. There's a line. But he didn't, did he? The cross all of a sudden gives God the ability to look down and not see our sinfulness, but instead to see Christ's sacrifice. And because of Christ's sacrifice, do you know what he sees? He doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees Christ's holiness and his righteousness. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. And that's the example that we're supposed to walk in. We're we're supposed to walk in that example of love. Not some kind of human example. Not a puppy love. My dad used to say, you know, Jim, puppy love leads to a dog's life. You know, not that kind of love. But the amazing love of Christ, and so since we're thinking about the love of Christ, let's celebrate the love of Christ right now. We're going to take communion together, and here at Lake Plaza Baptist, we are we have open communion. If you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior because of the work of the cross, we encourage you to take the elements with us today. Now there is a warning to all of us that says that if we are not in a right place in our relationship with the Lord that first of all we're supposed to reflect and and Will's going to come to the keyboard in just a second here and he's going to play in the background and we're going to give you a chance to reflect it says that we should realize that because God has given us a right relationship with his son and himself that that means that when we come to the communion table we need to reflect and make sure that we have right relationships with each other I have watched people at times not take communion and then afterwards they come up to me and going, I just am in a wrong relationship with somebody right now and I realize that I can't celebrate Christ's forgiveness because I have a heart of unforgiveness. See, Paul in Corinthians says that this is very serious. This isn't a snack during church. This is a celebration of the sacrifice that Christ made. So I encourage you Make sure your heart is right. I've even watched people stand up during this portion and go over and talk to somebody and say, hey, I just want to make sure we're cool. Because I I don't want to take communion in an unworthy way. Because love is so amazing, right? That we want to take it very seriously. You know how I know that love is amazing? I rarely ever see anybody come to a wedding not dressed appropriately why because they're honoring that love that day and so they even sometimes wear clothes they wouldn't normally wear I'm getting ready to do a wedding and they're saying it's going to be casual so you can kind of wear whatever whatever you want I put down wear suit (laughs) so we're going to take communion together the other thing I just ask is that you hold the elements until everybody has received them So we can take them together. So um, if four of you would come up to pass out these elements. And as the music begins, I encourage you to reflect on the amazing love of God today. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Different kind of sacrifice that had ever existed in the word of God because the sacrifices before always had a time limit. The time limit was this is good until you mess up again. And then you need to go back to the temple again because we need another sacrifice complete sacrifice, didn't cover sin and it washed sin away. Christ allowed his body to be punished so that we could have eternal relationship with the Father. This is his body that was punished for your sin. Do this in remembrance of him. the cup reminds us of something important about his sacrifice is that he gave his body and his blood for us and it was required that he had to die for our sin do you realize that that was a requirement that he had to die and that his blood had to be the thing that would wash away our sin and because he died but he did something amazing. He not only died, he rose again. So we, we aren't serving a dead Savior today. We're serving a living Savior. And the same way that your sin puts you to death, his blood resurrects you and gives you new life that you could never experience any other way. This blood represents resurrection and new life. The old has passed. The new has come. We're not that no longer anymore. We are the now. We are changed forever because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the fragrant aroma of heaven. This is the body and the blood that was given for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of him. That, my people, is amazing love. That, my people, is a different kind of love than the world knows or understands, isn't it? That is the kind of love that we are called to walk in. We are called to walk in love that forgives and sacrifices and makes a difference. That is the love that God has called us to. That's what he's called us to walk in. And instead of giving us some kind of human example of like a father loves his child he says i want you to to use as the example the standard of your love the cross of jesus christ and the sacrifice that he gave for you that is the amazing love that we are supposed to walk in but ephesian was an interesting place because they had a big temple there and a, and their temple was for the goddess of love and so they had ideas about love But their ideas about love were different. And the reason I asked the kids to be let go today is because this is a little bit PG. Because he says, first of all, I want you to walk in love. But then in verse 3, he says this. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness not not be named among you as as is proper among the saints. You see... He was telling them that all of the ideas that they had about love from the goddess of love and this thinking of love were not right because those ideas were selfish and those ideas were not love, they were lust. And instead of being self sacrificing, the whole goal of all of those ideas of love was self gratification. It was about taking care of me. It was about me being the center of the universe, about me having my needs met, about me being able to do even horrible things because, quote, that's just what my body needs. Does that sound like a world we live in at all, people? We live in a world filled with this kind of love, and this is not love. This is lust. It's self-seeking, it's self-centered, it's self-gratifying, it's sinful. And he's saying that these things should not be a part of who we are. It's not that there isn't supposed to be a sexual nature to us as beings, but he says, I created that for a special little place we call marriage. And inside of marriage, That's where it's supposed to be. And even inside of marriage, it's not supposed to be a selfish thing. It's supposed to be a selfless thing. But we try to expand this idea, don't we? So the world says, let's redefine marriage. So if we just change the rules for marriage, then other things are marriage too. But that's not what God's word says. We have people that are so proud of what they do in the quietness of their bedroom that they walk around town and they shake your hand and they explain it to you. Have you ever noticed that? I don't see many heterosexuals doing that. I don't see heterosexuals walking up going, Hi, I just want you to know I'm a heterosexual. No. Because God took this thing that was so sacred that in his word, the only way he ever explains this is this. And they knew each other. He doesn't explain the plumbing and the details. Because it's sacred. It's so very sacred that we're not even supposed to be able to even imagine it. That's how sacred it is. But we live in a world that tries to make these things graphic. And he's saying, I, I want you to walk in love, but I want you to understand that there are some things that you're walking in that are not love. They're lust." They're sexually immoral. They're, impu- they're, they're impurities. They're, they're, they're greediness. There's silly things like a guy saying, Well, she was asking for it, right? There's a covetousness. None of these kinds of things that are outside the boundaries of the intimacy of marriage are allowed for us as believers, they're sinful. Yet I know the statistics. I've been a part of the statistics at times. That we try to color outside of the lines here. And he's saying that when you do that, you are no longer walking in the love like Jesus Christ had. And so I want to tell you, you need to walk away from anything that looks like lust or anything that's in the, that, that creates impropriety in this area. So, how do we define sexual immorality? Is any marriage out, any sexual activity, period, outside of the marriage relationship? That's how it's defined. It's really pretty simple. We live in a world that by dot com and by flipping your finger, you can end up all kinds of places that you should not be. And he's saying, no, you need to walk away from lust. You need to walk away from this thing inside of you. See, we don't understand that God has made us passionate. And so, what the devil tries to do and what our flesh tries to do is it tries to corrupt passion by turning it into lust. And God's saying that is not love. He had to be very, Paul had to be very poignant here because they lived in such a sexualized world that he had to just name it and say, This is what it is. We live in that same kind of sexualized world today, don't we? Uh, I I tried to bring up an old TV show that I thought I liked as a kid, and I realized, oh my goodness, the level of sexuality in this is just crazy. I want to watch this. I want to enjoy this. But I can't, because I'm supposed to walk away from anything that's outside the boundaries that God put in. He's saying that it's bigger than just walking away from lust. It's it's walking away from innuendo. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Have you ever been around somebody that twists every single word that you say and somehow it becomes sexual? Have you ever had that experience? You're just like, how do you even get there? And they're like, I can't believe you said this. And I just look at them and say, I can't believe you think I said that. But there is a sense that the double entendre and those things are no longer supposed to be a part of our life. First of all, some of the things that they say are just filthy. The F word is is amazing in our society today. And how it's used as an adjective is even just weird. Have you ever thought about it? I, I stepped away from work. I had a pa- boss that was just filthy, and that was a big part of his language. I stepped away and went to Bible school, and I came back the next summer, and he was this and that, and I, just, I got the giggles because I thought, I don't know if that's possible. That that can be true of all those things. There's foolish talk. Coarse jesting. A crude. The last one is is drunken joking, you know. He's saying, I, I'm, "If you are going to walk in love, you have to walk away from these things." You know what? It, it limits some of the TV we might even want to watch, and it it limits some of the radio we might want to listen to, and it might limit some of the movies that we thought we could see because it. They only did this three times or they only and we make exception And he's saying, no, 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 don't make exception. Walk away. Have you ever liked a movie on television? So you rent it and you realize that they've sanitized it on television. And when you see the real movie, you're like, oh, my goodness, who did I say should watch this? You know. But he's saying to walk away from that and it says, but let there be Thanksgiving. And that is probably not even the best word. What? The word that one commentator said that I like better is instead of double entendre and window, there needs to be grace filled conversation. We need to bless people with the words that we say. And the way we raise our eyebrow and the way we wink our eye and all those kinds of things, because, see, sometimes, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how much trouble I've gotten in as a winker. I just naturally, that's one of the ways I sometimes communicate. I've had to try to stop doing it as much as possible because people were assuming something else about my wink. And when they tell me what it was, I'm like, I was standing next to my wife when I did that. You know, you know. He's saying we have to walk away from even the innuendo, the double entendre, the ability to do that. goes on and says this. For you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or as covetous as that is they are an idolater. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now you're saying, well, that's being a little harsh. Why is he saying that? Well, if you've been studying first John with us on Wednesday night, you find out that they were that first John was writing to the same people as the Ephesians. And there was this. This idea called Gnosticism coming into the body that said this, it doesn't matter what you do in your body because God has forgiven your soul. And those two are separate. So you can, you have the license to sin however you want because that's in your body. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter because you have, you have a soul that has been made spiritual. Okay. Okay. I just heard on the radio, it it shows up in the subtlest of things. I I was listening to NPR because, you know, I do because I like to know what everybody thinks. And this lady was explaining that she was was running for, for office and they say, are you a religious person? She goes, yeah, I'm a religious person. But I just want you to know that my faith is private and it doesn't affect what I do in politics. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty lousy faith. Wouldn't you say? Because because that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, live your faith and then walk however you want. No. He's saying your faith affects how you walk. And and you live in a world right now that, that is touched by a dualism that says, what I do in my body doesn't affect what happens in my spirit. And he says, hey, that's not how it works. Because if these are the things that you are, these are sin, These are not the picture of what God wanted love to be. These are distorted and these are selfish and these are sin. And they are going to keep you from the kingdom of heaven. The only thing that doesn't make an impure person or a covetous person or an immoral person, well, the only thing that keeps them out of hell is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God no longer sees us that way. And so here's the bottom line is, because God no longer sees us that way, we as His beloved children should stop walking that way. Does that make sense? It's kind of like Pastor Max when he was a kid. He would get lazy sometimes and his dad would look at him and he'd say, you need to change the way you act or you need to change your last name. Because Edwards' aren't lazy. God is saying to us, I have redeemed you with a love that you can't imagine. And so you need to walk in love instead of in these other things. You need to step, you need to go the other direction. You need to walk away from lust. And you need to walk away from innuendo. Why? Because here's the reality of what's happened. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, there's going to be a lot of people that have words that they kind of make sense, but then you're going to step away from and saying, no, that's not right. Those are empty words. That's what the Gnostics had. It sounded okay. It came from the teaching of Plato and this idea of dualism. And they were trying to shove it into Christianity and says, hey, you know, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And so that means we can do whatever we want because God's going to forgive us anyway. He says, no, 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 no. We have escaped the wrath of God. Think about that for a second. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have escaped the wrath of God. Take a look at some of the Old Testament stories and what the wrath of God looked like. How because of the disobedience of the Jewish people, sometimes 30,000 people would drop into a hole in the ground. The sins of Korah, right? I think I'm getting that one right. The wrath of God. But we have escaped that. Why? Because of the love of God. And so we're supposed to walk in that love because we are his beloved children and we're supposed to imitate him. And it's bigger than just wearing his glasses. It's being like our big brother and learning to walk in love. So to summarize, we're supposed to walk in love. And we're supposed to walk from lust. And we're supposed to walk from innuendo. And that way we can escape wrath because of the cross of Jesus Christ. At the beginning of this year, we brought up this theme of rest. And we said in this theme of rest that God wanted to do two things. He wanted to call us to rest but he wanted to call us to release. And one of the sad statistics for me is that sexual sin is pervasive inside the body of Christ is almost as much as it is outside of the body of Christ. And today can be a change day for you. You can ask God to transform you and put away, put away, put off lust be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the love that God has oh God wants to forgive you and his mercy is great but your walk has to look like your father's walk and you're saying but but God God your steps are too big and I I can't walk in them but remember when you were a little kid and you would be walking in the snow and your dad would say hey just follow my footsteps, walk in them, and you're going to be okay. And what did I do as a dad? I stopped using a dad's stride, and I started using a David stride so that David could fit inside my steps. That's what God is saying to you. I, I changed my stride so that you can walk in love in the same way I walk in love. That's the exchange. God isn't wanting to take away your passion. He's wanting to redeem it. You understand the difference? There are some, especially men that can be caught up, and even women who are caught up in things like pornography, and they're just like, God, just take it away. And He's saying, no, I don't want to take it away. I want to redeem it. I I don't want to take away your passion, even though it's in the wrong place now. I just want you to walk in a different kind of passion. I want you to walk in my love. I want you to respect marriage. Teenagers, some of you, respecting marriage means that you need to respect the person you're going to marry now, even though you've never met them before. Have you ever thought about the fact that the person you're going to marry is already alive? wonder what they're doing today. See, we don't decide to be faithful when we get inside marriage. We decide to be faithful because we're going to someday be married. And then we continue to walk in love as married people. But God is calling us to a higher standard of love that isn't selfish, self-gratifying, self-oriented. It's sacrificial. The standard of love is right here. And it's the cross. And God would never ask us to walk in something that we can't do. For God is a jerk, and he is not a jerk. Let's pray. God, I pray for the people here today, and I pray that you would release them if they struggle with some area of sexual sin. Pray, God, that today would be a dividing line where they would stop taking the low road and instead go on the higher road. God, that they'd walk away from those things that somehow have entangled them. So that they can walk in the love that you have, that you can redeem their passions because of what Christ did out of his passion for each one of us. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then you can't walk in love like God wants you to, to because you will always be selfish. That's bottom line, you need a Savior. You need somebody to forgive you. It's as simple as words that say, Dear Jesus, it's a prayer like that. You could pray it right after me. Please forgive my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Teach me how to walk in love. Amen. If you pray a simple prayer like that, You've begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to know about it. There's a yellow card. Fill that out and say, I accepted Jesus as my Savior today. You hand it to me or to the song leader or maybe one of the guys that led communion today. If you're a Christian that's struggling with some area of sin in this area, I encourage you to find one person to be honest with so that you can walk in love instead of lust. God wants to continue to do a great, great work in us. Why? Because love is amazing. (laughs) And his mercy is incredible. He just wants us as his beloved children to walk in love. Let's stand together.